The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, please join me, if you would, in my favorite book for this new year, the book of Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 12, and if you haven't been with us in the series, we've been going through the book of Exodus, and I love seeing how this old familiar story has so many fresh truths and connections to our Lord and Savior. So we'll be in Exodus chapter 12, and it's fitting, I think, for us to be here as all around the world people have been feasting over the holidays, celebrating. Some of us maybe have been feasting too much. Uh, Many of us have had time off work, and that's a blessing. Many of us have family traditions, things we do this time of year, probably including gifts this past week. Maybe there's special bread or food that you eat just this time of year. There's there's even certain things that you wear and, and do. Maybe some of you stayed up late to midnight last night. Today our study in the book of Exodus comes to the Jewish holiday, also known as a holy day of Passover. And this is a day that celebrates a a birth, it celebrates the birth of the nation out of the labor pains of, of Egypt. And it remembers the day when gifts were given to Israel, gifts of gold and and jewelry. And for thirty six centuries, put that in perspective, 36 centuries Jewish families all around the world have celebrated this day longer than any other nation's holiday. It has continued with long-standing traditions. Passover is going to be celebrated this year, 2023, so many centuries later. And just like we dress differently on Christmas, the Jews dressed differently by God's command on this first Passover They were girded in a certain way. They had their sandals on and they took time off work as they're going to be commanded to. They would cook and they would eat certain foods just this time of year, different than other times of the year. So for thousands of years, since Exodus 12, Jewish families have gathered together around a table for this special holiday or holy day. And for us, maybe Christmas is a big thing with children. Passover was a big thing with children. And in fact, there was even sometimes dramas that were acted out, or at least parts that people would say, and children would ask questions that Exodus 12 records as well. There was no Christmas ham, of course, for the Jews. They had a Easter lamb, a Passover lamb. But this is all actually pointing forward to Easter, but they would roast it on an open fire. Pasach, as they called it, would start a feast for a week. It would go through the next week, and then there would be a, a holiday a week later. And as big as Christmas and the New Year week is for us, Israel's calendar, Israel's life revolved around this event. Today we're going to read about the Jewish New Year event and holiday of Passover. Look with me at Exodus 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So this is where the Jewish calendar now is being set in motion. Where Passover is going to fall on our calendar, that would be March to April. But that would mark and that would start their new year, this first Passover, and then every year after that. Our calendar marks January as the first month of the new year. 
Some stay up the night before till, till midnight for the big occasion. There was something in Exodus 12 big that happened at midnight, but this was going to be no party at all. Look at verse 29 of Exodus 12. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From Pharaoh's firstborn son on down. There's sorrowing. There's not celebrating on this occasion for Egypt. But there is salvation. There's salvation for those who are covered by the blood of the Lamb. The Passover Lamb. And that's what Israel would celebrate for years to come. God tells His people in verse 13, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. God says, when I see the blood, and and we'll walk through this story, but he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This is the Passover. And I want us to look at this in three sections here. This is the Passover part one. Behold the Lamb. We want to just look at the context. We need to see the context of this. And then the Passover will be our second part of this study. And then behold the Lamb will be our Our application, what we need to see, what God wanted them to see and his people to see, the context, the Passover, behold the Lamb. But first, the context, and we go back to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So let's remember the context. Israel had been slaves. Slaves are not paid. But now there's going to be serious payment. Gold and silver. And they're going to add clothing, it's going to say later. They're going to give them more than they ask for as they go. This is going to sustain them through their journey. But God is punishing Egypt. His people are going to be plundering Egypt, but they're willingly going to share of their riches. They're not stealing from them. They are happy to give them anything so that they will go, so that death will not continue in their land. And it says that God gave great favor to Israel in the sight of their former enemies. They weren't hating them or angry at them. They, they actually saw them in a, in a greater light than Pharaoh, who we see in the story they're beginning to turn against Pharaoh. His own officials are saying, this is God's doing. And then they're saying, we're going to be ruined. How long are you going to continue? They're, they're rebuking their leader, which was unheard of. The, Pharaoh is not seen in a very good light by Egypt, but Moses is seen as a great, very great man in the eyes of all of Egypt. And it says, Pharaoh's servants saw Moses as very great. Pharaoh's own officials See him as great. And Israel is going to leave with great possessions. That's what God promised way back in Genesis 15. When you leave there after you've been oppressed for 400 years, you're going to leave with great possessions. And that's what's going to happen in this chapter or the next chapter. In Exodus 11, verse 8, Moses tells Pharaoh that his his officials are going to bow down. Look at verse 8. All these servants 
shall, your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. Your entire staff, all of your officials, all of them, they're going to come, they're going to bow down, and they're going to say, Go, 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 and we're going to go. All of them, all of those who work for Pharaoh are going to bow. Every knee will bow. And even Pharaoh in chapter 12 is going to beg not only Israel to leave, he's going to beg for a blessing as they go, recognizing that they're the source of blessing, not his gods, not his false religion. And even Egypt's dogs are not going to oppose them. Chapter 11, verse 7 says, Not even an Egyptian dog would growl or literally would not even move a tongue against Israel. I mean, dogs not making any noise in the night, that's a miracle too, just like these other things. But, but the point here is, is man and beast, everything, they're all going to want you to go. They're not going to be against you. There's no more opposition now. Verse 5, every firstborn in the land of Egypt, chapter 11, verse 5, every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as has never been nor ever will be again, from the highest crown prince, who would have been the next pharaoh, from the highest crown prince to the lowest levels of society. And even their sacred cows would die. We talked before about how their cattle were actually prominent in their worship. Even golden calves were were worshipped and cows, several of their gods, it seems intentional that not just the firstborn of, of mankind, but the firstborn of the cattle in particular are going to die. And there's a great cry, it says. And it's the same verb for Israel's cry at the beginning of the story and earlier. And, and Israel also cried to Pharaoh in chapter 5. They cried out to Pharaoh, but he would not listen. Now, the, the same verb is used, God is going to make Egypt greatly cry like never before or since. And Pharaoh had for, fair warning in Exodus 4.22. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. That was before any of the plagues. And there had been warnings again and again in the plagues. Psalm 78, verse 51 says this, God struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength. This is their strength, the power, the firstborn, their future, the heirs, the, the honor, the hope, their future were tied up with the firstborns. And this is justice on Pharaoh. Pharaoh had ordered the killing of all of the sons of Israel in chapter 1. And God said in chapter 3, he heard their cry. Same word that's being used here for Egypt's cry. And now the firstborn of Pharaoh and Egypt is going to die in judgment. And God judicially hardens Pharaoh's heart again to multiply his wonders in the land. Because there's something big that's happening here at the end. And God's always been working towards this climax. He could have got them out of Egypt much sooner. But there's something big he needs to show here about life and death and about salvation and judgment that he's going to show here at the end. 
And that's the context. It's not just judgment. There's mercy in the final plague. And it's interesting how Psalm 136 sings about this. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his mercy endures forever. To to the God who rescued us from our enemies, for his mercy endures forever. And, And what's the application? Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. When you think about the Exodus, that's what you should do. Give thanks to God. His mercy endures forever. To give thanks for his steadfast loving kindness. That we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. And so that takes us to the Passover. So that's the context, but there's the Passover, the blood of the Lamb. I I read chapter 12, 1 and 2 earlier. Let's pick up verse 3. Chapter 12, verse 3, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house as a lamb for a household. And, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and the nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. The lamb had been associated with sacrifice for a long time, since the time of Abraham. In fact, if you were listening in the scripture reading earlier, they're going to sacrifice and Isaac is looking around in Genesis 22 and he says, where is the lamb? Because they understood lambs were, were what they were to sacrifice to God. I think even probably from the time of, of Abel, where it talks about from the, from the herds, he was sacrificing, that, that lambs had been sacrificed. But here, there's something new added, all the congregation. This is the first time this word congregation is used and it's a whole community of faith god wanted them all to do this family worship as well as corporate worship is is what he's wanting their worship to be as they're preparing to to be his people it's not just a personalized religion like many today think about my religion and what i like to think about god or what i like about worship or don't like about it this is a, a communal and, and corporate thing. It's about God and it's about His people together, not about them and their preferences. And it mentions here the household, because they're all in different households. Later they would celebrate in, in Jerusalem at the temple, but here is a, a household in their communal meal in their homes. All of the Jews in, in commonality and in solidarity were to be doing this at the same time. And neighbors who didn't have much family, they were to be included with other families to share this worship together for this holiday. And he explains in verse 5 more about this lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. And later in the Day of Atonement, Moses will write, more about the sacrifice. But notice, without blemish, the, the leader would, in, in Israel, there's going to be instructions about how there needed to be an examination to see if, it's, if, it's, if there's any flaw, to see if there's any blemish, to, to examine it, see if there's anything wrong with it. The idea there is you're not supposed to just give God what's you know, something that's, that's maimed or, or a lamb that you you're kind of want to get rid of anyways and you give it to him. No, you're to give him your best in your offering and in your worship. There needs to be a, a sacrifice there and it's without blemish, it's pure and 
even in appearance. And a male, a year old, is not a baby. Uh, it's, it's younger than when you would expect them to die naturally, certainly. But it was also, you could say, and it, it had some strength and it was the prime of life. But notice verse 6. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So all around, and there's 600,000 men, chapter 12 is going to say. So there's a lot of families here. And all at the same time, at twilight, before the sun goes down, they're to kill their lambs. And then verse 7, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts. And, and so it says, keep it till the 14th day. But first, he said, take the lamb in on the 10th day. Why the 10th day? Well, maybe because this is the 10th plague. Some have wondered, maybe there's a connection with the 10 commandments that are going to come. But here, there's also what's going on is there's time for this lamb to live in the home. You don't just take a lamb and take it straight to the slaughter. This lamb needs to live among you. You take it in. You take it into your home. So imagine from the 10th to the 14th, you would keep this lamb in your house. Kids, I want you to imagine a, a little lamb, a, a little animal is, is cute, and, and you, you, you pet it, and you begin to become close to it. You have it in the home, not out in the fields or the flocks where it normally is. Maybe you give it a name, Fluffy. Your parents probably wouldn't have wanted you to do that, but maybe you just did that and you're thinking of Fluffy and then you find out Fluffy has to die. Dad, why does, why does Fluffy have to die? And, and Dad explains, oh, if Fluffy doesn't die, your older brother has to die. There's, there's an angel of death coming and, and God has been merciful to us. God's going to get us out of here. But... We have to, even though we're Israelites, we're, we're not exempt from that angel of death. We've got to follow this exactly. And if we don't do this exactly the way God said, death will come to our house too. We're all sinners, little one. But God is merciful. He gave a way that if we let Fluffy die, that your older brother doesn't have to die. And, and the young one understands that, but imagine them watching it and, and that pure white, fur as the throat is slit now turns to blood that runs down and stains that that perfect white coat and then it, you're pouring it into this bowl and imagine this as a kid you're you're watching your dad come and he takes that blood and he is smearing it at the top of the doorpost and on the side of the doorpost and he's he's smearing it on, on the lintel and then you you're going to eat this in verse 8 they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. And the Jewish rabbis explained the bitter herbs were to remind them of the bitter slavery. As chapter 1 had said earlier in Egypt, they had made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, Egypt ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And so in eating this every, every year, even generations far removed from this, they were to be reminded, man, this, this is bitter. This doesn't taste good at all. They're to be reminded of how bitter 
This is just a little taste. It was so much worse in Egypt. We need to be reminded of that. And every Passover, they were reminded of that. And this unleavened bread, it was made without yeast. It was made quickly because they were to do this in haste. This was the fastest way to make bread, not wait for it to rise. And, and also roasting meat, it was the quickest way and to remove the blood because they were not to consume blood. Verse 9, do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water. The, many of the pagans would eat meat raw for some of their festivals, but Israel was not to do that or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. The, the whole thing was needed. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. And in explaining this, this isn't just the most healthy way. I think the con- context also is this is, this is a most holy day. And, and you're, you're in a hurry. And so that's part of the instructions. Verse 11, in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Or, or literally, you're, you're girded up for action. And you shall eat it in haste it is the Lord's Passover. This wasn't about them. This isn't Israel's, even though this really formed their identity. This is, this is their Lord's, ultimately. This isn't their supper. It's the Lord's. And normally they would eat supper with, with their staff and their outer garment left at the door. You would, you would kind of relax your robes. You would, you would normally take your sandals off your feet, relax. Remember in the upper room, that's how they're eating. You would ideally wash them even. But when the Bible talks about having your feet strapped, like your shoes strapped, it's like ready for battle in Ephesians 6. You're ready for action. That's the spiritual warfare mentality. And, and girding up the loins means you're, you're ready to go and and, and so this is, this is something where they were doing it in haste and in faith. That they're about to be delivered that night. They're believing that even though they, Pharaoh has been hard-hearted, hasn't let them go, that they're going to get to go that night. And so they're, they're doing this in faith, believing we're going to go. We're going to go in the dark hours. All our bridges are going to be burned. All of the crumbs need to be burned there's no leftovers with this particular meal. It's, it's holy. Nothing to be left behind. The staff was to be in hand. Their bags were to be packed. Egypt's world behind me. There's, there's no turning back. No turning back. And God says in verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborns in the land of Egypt. Of Egypt, and notice it's all the firstborns, not just the Egyptians. Israel, too, unless the blood covered their doors, unless they did as God instructed. I, I read earlier, verse 13 the blood was the sign. When God would see the blood, when God would behold the blood there, he would. Passover. He would see the blood of the Lamb, and at that house, judgment would pass over. Because of the blood, 
Not because of their ethnicity. Because of the blood. And in verse 14, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. This is something you, that's going to be a memorial. It's going to be a, something you eat and drink this in remembrance of the Lord's redemption, how the Lord sees the Lamb's blood. The Lord has mercy as He does. And He wants His people to see the Lamb's blood and see His mercy. And so this takes us from the context and the Passover to the application. Behold the Lamb. This is something they were to see. All of their families were to see this this whole process They were to see this lamb among them for those days. They were to see and be a part of the the killing of the lamb at twilight. They were all to to see these these physical, tangible elements on the table together. They were to behold, is is the word I'm using, behold the lamb. Behold means to see or to set your attention on, to to consider or to, to contemplate. And it starts with what Moses had already said. Think about our scripture reading earlier in Genesis 22, story of Father Abraham. All these Jews would have grown up hearing the story of Father Abraham. They were very familiar. This was the Father Abraham with Isaac. This was a, one of those vivid things. If you heard this story as a kid, you remember it. I remember seeing it with a flannel graph and, and seeing him the sun and the wood and, and all of that going to the altar. And this is what Isaac said. Isaac asked on the way, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? He's not beholding the the lamb. He's looking around, and, and they're on the way, and then Abraham tells Isaac, The Lord himself will provide the lamb for the offering, my son. I can't imagine what it would be like to be Father Abraham. But at that moment, the son's like, where's, behold, where's the lamb? Son, the Lord himself will provide. Abraham says that in faith. Hebrews 11 says, he said that in faith, believing even if he has to raise him from the dead, that the promises to Abraham were going to, or to Isaac would continue. And before the death blow falls on the firstborn son of Abraham and Sarah, as the death blow is about to fall, mercy intervenes. Well, let me read it again. Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram. A ram. He doesn't behold a lamb. He beholds a ram this time. And it's going to die as a substitute, it says, in the place of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham's believing the Lord will provide. Yahweh will provide. And and future tense is how Moses records it there. And later Jews would continue to say, it would be said to the day that Moses wrote, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided in the future. They're looking beyond Genesis 22 to when the Lord will provide in the future. And and there's something about this mount of the Lord, which would actually be this very place where Abraham offered up Isaac, that the Lord in the future would provide. 
He will provide a lamb. He didn't provide a lamb in Genesis 22. He provided a substitute ram to die in the place of the son. Now in Exodus 12, God provides the substitute lamb to die in the place of the son. Do you see how this all fits together? Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh provides. He will provide in the future. And and even beyond this, they're looking to to the time when they're in the promised land and that very mount where Abraham offered up Isaac. There's going to be a a temple there. That's going to be the place of offering and sacrifice. There's going to be more provided through the sacrifices that would be done in Jerusalem at that very temple, at that very place. Because there's an understanding since, since Genesis... The wages of sin is death. But God provides. God provides blood to cover and to take it away. And so I want you to turn to the Gospel of John in the first chapter. Because many centuries later, Jews from all over would travel to Jerusalem for Passover. This is what Moses would tell them later in Deuteronomy. Even to this day, some of them around the world will say, next year in Jerusalem, wanting to be in Jerusalem for Passover. Those who were able-bodied would come to Jerusalem if they were able. And and it was on the tenth day of the month that lambs would be herded in Jerusalem. So many lambs would be brought in. They would be selected. They would be sold. They would be taken into homes. And to make sure everything was followed according to the law, there would be leaders who would behold the lambs. They would make sure there's no blemish on these lambs so that we can do this exactly the way God has called us to, and that lamb for each household or each gathering of believers. It wasn't just families. There were gatherings. There had to be at least ten, the rabbis would say. But the lamb would dwell among them and would be with them, and, and they would see it until the 14th day when the Passover lamb was to die. They would, they would behold the lamb being slain literally, and then they would prepare it, and they would eat it. Look at John 1, verse 14. It says, the word, this is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen, we've, we've seen his glory. He's been living among us. He's been dwelling among us. And we've seen him. Look at John 1, verse 29, where John the Baptist is helping the disciples see the fulfillment of all of this. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These crowds have been coming to John, but he says, all of you, you need to turn around. You need to behold. You need to look. There is the Lamb. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Abraham's son had asked, behold, where is the Lamb? John says, behold the Lamb. He's right there. He's right there. He's walking right there. That's the Lamb of God. That's the Lamb of God. God did provide a Lamb, His Son. God did provide a Lamb, His own Son. We sang about it, precious Lamb of God and Messiah. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. Behold the Lamb of God on Calvary's altar slain, for worthy is the Lamb forevermore to reign. His precious blood for us was shed for full atonement. Christ has bled. Behold the Lamb of God. We need to look and we need to see the the Lamb, see the fulfillment of all of this through all of the years. 
It was in the 1800s that Charles Spurgeon preached to the the largest indoor service till that time, 23,000 people without a microphone. He had a powerful voice. And so Sacramento Kings Arena seats 19,000. Spurgeon preached to a building full of 23,000, and his voice could be heard to the rafters. But he wanted to, before that, test the acoustics. Before we invite all these people, let's see how the acoustics are. So he goes into this building, and he's on stage, and it looks like an empty building. Maybe there's some workers somewhere around, but he's, he's in this empty place all by himself, and he wants to test out the acoustics. And so he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he, he tests it, and he has people stand in different parts of the audience. There was a man working in the back that Spurgeon hadn't seen. He was somewhere back in the building. And I don't know if he even knew that Spurgeon was there, but he heard those words and he described it like he was like a herald from heaven calling out to him, Behold the Lamb. Behold, believe in the the blood of Jesus to save you. And so later when he heard Spurgeon preach, he he recognized this is the voice, this is the man. And he came and, and told him those words And he told him that he had been saved that day and that God had used those words for him to behold the Lamb of God who took away his sin. We need to behold the Lamb. We need to be heralds of the Lamb. This is a a powerful word and a powerful message of the gospel. And it's also completely counterintuitive to our world. The Lamb. They would come, why are you guys singing about this Lamb? Lambs aren't, aren't really mighty. Lambs aren't very majestic looking. Lambs are they're meek and lowly creatures. You think of this little lamb. It's this little furry cuddler. The, 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 many of the Jews were looking for a fighter, conqueror, messiah. They wanted someone who would come and just wipe out their enemies. That's what they were looking for. But even just think about it. Even in the animal kingdom, lambs are they're pretty weak. They, they can't do anything to defend themselves. You know, if predators come, all they can do is, bah, you know, so they can't, they can't run, they can't kick, there's no, they're not good fighters at all. Who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Amen. I mean, this is a story that only God would write. Who would have thought that the lamb would be the hero? He's the hero all the way to the end of the Bible, the lamb. But here in this chapter, verse 35, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. This is what John keeps saying. John would say, He needs to increase, I need to decrease. That's what beholding Him means. We need to see Him more. We need to see ourselves and everything else less. That's so important for us. We need to keep beholding Him. In verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found Him of whom Moses... Moses, there it is, in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Moses wrote of Jesus. And this is one of the things that I think was helping them understand it. Behold the Lamb. He's thinking about what Moses wrote about the Lamb. But he says, Moses and the prophets. The prophet Isaiah would also write about this Messiah who would come, and he would be led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He didn't defend himself against all the false accusations. He was led and he was, 
He would suffer in the place of sinners, in our place, it says again and again in Isaiah 53. Moses also wrote of this Lamb of God to take away the sins of all who would believe. Moses had written of the Lord and what his power looked like. The Lord has power to turn water into blood. And in John chapter 2, John highlights first the Lord has power to turn water into wine. And then look at chapter 2, verse 13, right after that. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. John's going to point out that many of his miracles and what he did was at the Passover time. In the temple, verse 14, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep. He's turning the tables on them, literally. He's driving them out, and now the true lamb is going to stand there and teach there. And in verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. They beheld the lamb at the Passover feast. This was early in his ministry. He would do something very similar at the end of his ministry at a Passover. We know John three sixteen, don't we? Think about it in this light. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That phrase, his only son or only begotten son, it's a rare phrase in the Bible, but the Old Testament equivalent is used in Genesis 22, where Abraham offered up his only son. And he believed, as he gave his son, Abraham did, he believed that God would provide a lamb, At Passover, whoever didn't believe, whoever didn't apply the blood of the Lamb, saw their son perish. It's different with God. God saw his son perish. He gave his son so that whoever believes won't perish. He gave his own son. Romans says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with Him graciously give us all things. If he's done that, he's going to give us everything we need. Anything you need this year, brother or sister. If God has done that, he's going to provide for what you need. There's things on your heart right now wondering, you need to know the Lord is going to provide. He's going to provide your needs. And one of the proofs of that is going back to the Lord will provide in the Old Testament, but then the fulfillment of that, he provided his own son. He's going to provide what you need, brother or sister. He provided. And we're going to sing just in a few minutes, Behold the Lamb who takes our sin away. And we remember. Those lambs in Exodus didn't take their sins away. They were a, a picture. that They were a, a covering. But there's only one Lamb that can take away sin, that can actually take our sins away, that can actually give us forgiveness at the cross, and that's the Lamb of God that John pointed to. John 6 is another Passover week. Maybe a year later, John 6, verse 4, it says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So again, John is highlighting 
different times when on a Passover Jesus is revealing himself. And in verse 56 of chapter 6, Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Disciples didn't fully understand that at the time. Some turned away because they were confused by all this. But at a Passover feast, Jews would drain the blood. They would eat the flesh of the lamb. What Jesus is saying here is, I'm that. I'm what that pointed to. I'm the lamb. I'm the Passover. I'm the spiritual fulfillment. I'm the spiritual feast for you to take in by faith. Behold the lamb in Jesus. I turn to chapter 12. It'll become more clear the, the week of the Last Supper and the First Communion. Chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover. Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Verse 12, the next day, this is John 12, 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. This is Palm Sunday. This is five days till Passover. Passover would be Thursday sunset until Friday sunset. <clears throat> and according to the standard chronology, this is the, the Sunday, and this is the, the tenth of the month. <clears throat> As lambs come into the Jerusalem temple. The tenth of the month, remember when the lambs would come in and they would be selected and, and brought in to dwell among the people. This is the day that Jesus chooses to come to Jerusalem. The Lamb of God comes on this very day. Exodus 12 talked about it needing to be a male in the prime of life. At that age, it would be younger than you would expect him to die. Jesus comes he dwells among them. He, he lives with them from the 10th to the 14th day. He had been away from the eyes of the public before that, but now he's out there in public. He's teaching. He's in the temple, that very place where it said the, the lamb would be provided on that, on that temple. He's there. He's standing in those courts. He clears everyone out, takes over the place, and he's teaching. And, and in that week, you can read this in Matthew 21 to, to 25, Jesus is having the Pharisees come and then the Sadducees. They're all trying to find some blemish in him. They're all trying to find some fault. They're trying to trap him, find something wrong with this one. The, the priests and, and then later Pilate that week, they can find no blemish. In fact, Pilate says he is innocent. And even the Romans watching this say he is innocent, he is righteous. The lamb in the flesh is dwelling among them. And he is showing himself to be the, the spotless, perfect, blameless, innocent, righteous Lamb of God. And then he is going to die on Passover. He dies on Passover as a perfect sacrifice. Spotless Lamb of God. Was he full atonement? Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. This is our Savior. And Moses wrote, on the mount of the, of the Lord, the Lamb would be provided. This is what John sees and writes in Revelation I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. John sees, he's there in prison in Patmos, he's wondering what's the future. He looks and he, he sees the lamb is still standing in this vision on, on Mount Zion. And, and John, this is what John records also. Behold, 
in the midst of the throne. A lamb. So this is a lamb who's in control. He's in the midst of the throne. And he says he's a, a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So we can see this, this lamb looks like it had been slain, past tense, but now it's standing, it's alive, and it's reigning. And, and they sing to the lamb in Revelation. Here's what they sing. You have redeemed us to God by your blood, by the blood of the lamb, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And, and then John beholds, and there's this massive multitude that cannot be counted, and they are all saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and glory and honor and blessing. And then John sees more. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. This is the worship of the redeemed in, in heaven for all eternity, and we get to join that. And John sees in chapter 7 of Revelation, the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them, and he will lead them. He's this gentle lamb. He's, he's in the throne, but he's gentle in this way. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes. This is the kind of Savior we have. And then in chapter 12, he says, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. This is our victory. This is our hope. This is what we need to see. This is what John needed to see in in suffering and in difficulty there and uncertainty about the future. He needed to behold the Lamb and he writes the last book of the Bible going out with what we should be going from here with beholding the Lamb. The poem that says, When Satan tempts and doubts and fears assail, look to the Lamb of God. You in his strength shall over all prevail. Look to the Lamb of God. Are you weary? Does the way seem long? Look to the Lamb of God. His love will cheer you and fill your heart with song. If you look to the Lamb of God, fear not when shadows on your pathway lie or fall. Look to the Lamb of God in joy or sorrow. Christ is all in all. Look to the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. We need to see him more and more. He needs to increase. We need to decrease. He died and rose so that I can behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. So even when Satan might tempt me to despair, all I have to do is look up there and, and behold him there because he put an end. He took away my sin. That's the great hope we have in Christ. Even though we deserve to die for our sin, God looks down from heaven and he sees the blood of the wood on the cross. He sees the, the blood of that sacred head that's, that's wounded, the blood that had been, that's there on the, on the top of the cross. And then on both sides of the, of the cross, the, the blood that is there, the blood that is running down, he, he sees that. And as he looks down and sees that perfect sacrifice that pleased his justice, he can look at those who have put their faith, repentant faith in him and trusted in him, and he can pass over them because they are covered. They're covered by the blood of the Lamb. Not because of anything they've done, but because of what he has done for them. 
if they trust in him as Lord and Savior. So how do you come to him without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me? O Lamb of God, I come to rid my soul of sin's dark blot. To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come as I am poor, wretched, blind, but all I need in you to find, O Lamb of God, I come. Welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because your promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. Come to him in that way. The Lamb of God will receive you. If you need help with that, we would love to help you come and behold the Lamb. As believers, we need also to help each other this year to behold the Lamb, to to look to the Lamb more as we look to and and get caught up in so many things. We need to help each other, help ourselves to, to look to Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus. Behold the Lamb who is on his throne. And here's what Peter wrote, who was very involved in those weeks of a Passover, in fact, it was one of those who killed the lamb and brought it to the, the Last Supper and all of that. Here's what he later wrote to believers in First Peter. Gird up the loins of your mind. Just like they girded loins at, at the Passover. Peter goes on, this is what we need to remind ourselves with. Knowing that you were redeemed, not with corruptible things, not with gold and silver. That's not what redeemed us, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot and in chapter 2 Peter tells us to behold the lamb in suffering here's what he says Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps he committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree So behold the Lamb and be changed in how you think and speak. Look to Christ's example. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to talk a little bit more about how this all connects with what we're going to do in the Lord's table. But let me pray for God's help. Our gracious God, we thank you for this glorious truth. We thank you for sending your Son, the precious Lamb of God, and our Messiah, your Holy One, your Spotless One. I pray, Lord, now that you would help us all to be changed in some way as we behold the Lamb. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.